We're doing a short series on the life of Moses. And last week we saw how that Moses was born at a time when the Egyptians were worried about the increasing number of Israelites who were slaves in their country. And so they decided that they were going to throw every new baby that was born into the Nile River. But Moses was found in the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised as a prince in the palace. He was being groomed to be the next Pharaoh. But then he killed a guy, and the Israelites turned against him, and the Egyptians realized that he had a bias, a favoritism towards the Jews. And so Moses had to leave, and he took off into the wilderness, and he lived in an area called Midian for the next 40 years. Just think about that for a minute. Here's a guy with a call on his life. He's had the best education in the world. And he ends up living in the wilderness. He marries a local girl. They have two children. Imagine if that was you. You'd had a prophecy over your life. You believe that God's going to use you in a mighty way. But you end up holed up in the desert for 40 years. Have you ever gone through a season in your life where your prayers just don't seem to be answered? When things don't seem to change? And you cry out, what's going on, God? When's all this going to end? But you continue on through month after month of heartache. In Proverbs 13, verse 2, there's a verse that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And a lot of depression today is the result of people expecting things to happen. But when they don't happen, the heart grows sick. We know that God loves us, but sometimes we feel rejected and alone. Even mature Christians can get weary of waiting for God to do what they think he should be doing. Many of you have heard of a a great man called George Mueller. And George Mueller owned orphanages in Britain. And he lived entirely by faith. And God would always provide the food for the children in the orphanage. One day a bread truck broke down outside his house. and And they offloaded the bread. They said, look... It's no use to us. We've got to get rid of it. Do you want it? And he saw all these amazing miracles. But there was a good friend of his that wasn't a Christian. And so George Mueller prayed every day that this man would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. It was 63 years later that that man gave his heart to the Lord. And you may be faithfully praying for your loved ones in a similar way. Sometimes things may be put on hold in our lives until something else happens. God gives us a key and wants us to do something with it, to place it into the lock it's designed for, so that a door can be opened. 
The key is nothing in itself, but when it turns a lock and a door opens, something roars into life. We saw how the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and that God had prophesied to Jacob that the Israelites would be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So if they knew that it was going to be 400 years before they were released from captivity and able to go to Canaan, then there was no point in praying and trying to make things happen before the 400 years were up. 400 years is an incredibly long time. When we look at New Zealand's history, you know, European settlement, it it began about 200 years ago. Think of 400 years. These guys would have lost their identity. I was amazed here in Topol, where it's a bit cooler than other places I've lived, how that at wintertime the trees become so bare in winter, but then they produce blossom and leaves. There are seasons in the physical. There are also seasons in the spiritual. And in Matthew 24, verse 32, it tells us, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. When you see these signs, you know that something is happening. And our prayers affect the spiritual realm in a similar way to nature affects the physical realm. Nature responds to climatic forces that cause bulbs to burst open and trees to blossom. And there are similar forces and controls and constraints in our spiritual climate. You may think that you're in the wilderness or in a long wintry season. A change of climate can take over your life very quickly, just like spring comes after winter. A new spiritual season can come upon you. And there are keys that God uses to unlock new seasons. I spoke to someone about baptism the other day. And confession of our faith is a key. Because to be a believer in Jesus, first we have to believe in our heart. And second, we have to confess with our mouth. And if you're not confessing your faith in Jesus Christ because you've got a fear of people and you're worried about what's going to happen, you'll find that when you make that confession, it's as though God says, look, you've put your hand up for me, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to help you on this amazing journey called life. Faith is a powerful thing. Do you truly have faith in God? Do you believe that God helps those who trust in him, who hear from him, and believe that he's going to do what he says. There can be other blockages like unforgiveness in our lives, or fear and anxiety. And so Moses entered the wilderness disillusioned and defeated, but he emerged 40 years later to become one of the best leaders the world has ever known. 
Let's read from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now that was just an ordinary bush. But the fire represented the presence of God. And that made that bush extraordinary. It was a bit like those tongues of fire that appeared in the upper room at Pentecost. Before Pentecost, the disciples were in fear of their lives. They were in fear of their enemies. But at Pentecost, they received a holy boldness that changed their lives forever. Let's look now at verses 4 to 6. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Hiding your face is an act of humility. You know, in the world today, most people want to be recognized, to be seen, and to be liked. We want the praise of people, don't we? But God wants to lead us by his Spirit. And it's when we quieten our hearts that we're able to hear God's voice. Moses was away from home. He was away from all the distractions. He's out there on his own, tending his sheep, and he hears God's voice. And what Moses couldn't achieve by his own effort, by force, God can accomplish through faith in him. Verses 7 to 10. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I guess Moses had reflected on his failure in Egypt for the whole of those 40 years. He must have been beating himself up and thinking, what did I do wrong? But now God is calling him back to that place of failure. God is going to deliver Israel. And he's making Moses 
his helper. In John 15, verse 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. God has chosen us. He said to us, go into all the world and make disciples. And so in verse 11 and 12, Moses said to God, who am I? Look at the change. He was the prince of Egypt. He's had 40 years humbling himself in the wilderness. Now he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Moses' failures had brought a fear of man. And that's not uncommon in this world today. We're worried about what people will think of us, what people will say. We're very careful what we do and say because we're afraid of criticism. And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You know, figuratively, we've all grown up in Egypt. Egypt is a picture of this world. And this world gives us all a false impression of who God really is. Imagine if I've got a fishing rod that can talk. And I say to my fishing rod, I'm going to use you to catch fish. And the fishing rod responds, no, not me. I can't catch fish. I don't have hands. I can't bait the hook. I can't cast out the line into the water. I don't have eyes. I don't even know where the water is. I can't reel the line in. Sorry, I just can't do it. Then I reply to my fishing rod, but I'll be with you. It's different when I'm with you. And that's what God is to us. We look at our own inadequacy and we realize that we can't do anything on our own. But God says, I am going with you. And with you, with me, there is so much that you can do for me. And our own strength and talent is of little importance as we become an instrument in God's hand. What's really important is that we are connected and available to the Master. When we're emptied of self, we can be filled with the presence and the power of God. And 40 years in the desert had done that to Moses. The burning bush symbolized what Moses had was to become an ordinary man ablaze with the fire of God. And then in verses 16 to 22, God told Moses to go and tell the leaders of Israel that their God had promised to bring them out of misery in Egypt and into a land flowing with milk and honey. He also said that Pharaoh wouldn't let them go until God had performed wonders among them. 
And when they departed, they'd go with all the gold, silver, clothing and plunder of Egypt. They wouldn't leave as slaves. They would be carrying all the treasures and all the valuables of the Egyptians. You know, whenever God gives us a dream, he also gives us a plan on how we are going to accomplish that dream. And it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of what the vision of this church is as we submit ourselves to God and to his direction and purpose. And then in Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, then the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran away from it. You know, in those days, the most despised people in Egyptian society were shepherds. And a shepherd's staff was not an appropriate symbol of authority. But God often chooses weak instruments in order to accomplish his mightiest deeds. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Gideon and his 300 men attacked 100,000 Midianites with clay jugs. David killed Goliath with a slingshot. What do you use to fight your battles and to defeat your enemies? God can use anything or anyone, no matter how insignificant, to perform the task that he assigns to us. A staff with God behind it is more powerful than all the armies of Pharaoh. What was just a shepherd's staff became the rod of God, a symbol of God's power in the hands of Moses. Moses' staff was very important to him as a, as a shepherd. He would use it to fend off wild animals. He would use it for balance. The 23rd Psalm, it says, My rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He felt safe when he was holding that, that staff. And so God says to Moses, What have you got in your hand? And Moses looks at his staff and sees the thing that gives him the most security. Then God says, Throw it on the ground, Moses. Throw it down. He had to literally throw away the last of his self-assurance. What is it in your life that makes you feel strong and self-assured? Because God wants you to throw that down. And Moses' rod turned into a snake. And God told Moses to pick up the snake by the tail. Snakes were worshipped by the Egyptians. They represented the power of Egypt. And you would never pick up a snake by the tail unless you were sure that that snake couldn't hurt you. And so God was telling Moses that he could trust God and that God would protect him from Pharaoh just like he would protect him from the snake. Picking up that snake makes Moses feel vulnerable and unprotected. 
He places himself totally in God's hands. And God turns that snake back into his staff. God gives back to Moses the thing that is so important to him. But now it's no longer Moses' staff. It's the rod of God. Moses has his staff back, but he's no longer his source. But the rod is no longer his source of protection and security. Now God is the source of his protection and strength. If we totally trust and believe in the Lord, he will use us in many ways. As we follow him, we may find ourselves in places where we're forced to trust in him. He will test us in various ways. We may lose our job, and he'll ask us to trust in him. He may give us assignments to undertake that we feel are beyond our capabilities. We can have all that Moses had and more. You know, it says that John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets, but we can do more than John the Baptist because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We can all have what Moses had and more. What the rod became to Moses, Jesus is to us. He was despised by the world, but he is the symbol of our authority because he trampled underfoot the spirits and powers. In Jesus, we have all that we need to undertake God's vision and mission for our lives. We have the power of God at our disposal, and yet sometimes we wonder how we can make it through the next week. We are the only ones capable of containing and passing on to other people the love of Jesus Christ. We're highly valuable. We're called to do great and mighty things in God's name. We can take the thing that's in our hand, our job, our assets, and we can consecrate it to the Lord and allow him to use it for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we come into a new year. and Sometimes we feel weak and helpless. We've failed you in many ways in the past. But Lord, we know that you are a great and a mighty God. And Lord, if you have put a prophecy over us or a promise, you've spoken to us, Lord, we don't have to give up on you because it's taking longer than we expected. Lord, may this be a year of great beginnings. As we put you on the throne of our lives, as we yield our lives to you and our, th- our possessions and gifts to you. And we say today, take us, use us, set your fire ablaze in our hearts and in this church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final song this morning, which talks about that very thing of him living in us, him breathing in us so that we can live our lives for him. Let's stand and sing.